1: sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, accelerate your business growth has got to cover. And now on with the show. My guest today is Rachel Cook. Rachel is a business strategist and host of the Promote Yourself to CEO podcast. She's on a mission to end entrepreneurial poverty of time, energy, and money for women business owners. Of the last 16 years, Rachel has helped thousands of entrepreneurs design predictably profitable businesses without the hustle and burnout that doing hashtag all the things inevitably accomplishes. Thanks so much for joining me today, Rachel.
0: I'm so excited to be here.
1: Thank you. Um, Oh, I am thrilled to have you here. So, um, So I know you have worked with a lot of small business owners and I am curious about what the biggest challenge is you see, you know, that they are having in regards to setting their revenue goals.
0: Ooh, setting revenue goals is such a good topic to start with. And the reason I love this is because I find that a lot of entrepreneurs are setting arbitrary revenue goals or just like pulling a number out of thin air without taking the time to do the math. And this is something I've seen since the beginning of my career with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Most of us, the first thing when we start a business, we don't open up a spreadsheet and start thinking, okay, well, how much do I need to live? What does my own salary need to look like? Then what does my business need to do in order to pay that? And then how do I make sure I can hit that revenue goal. But that's actually one of the most important things to do is to sit down and crunch the numbers. Oh my gosh.
1: You are so not kidding. And I think part of the problem is that for some reason we focus so much on revenue instead of profit, right? Because if we were thinking about profit, we would be doing that sort of thing.
0: Absolutely. And this is where pulling a revenue goal out of thin air. And unfortunately we're being bombarded by all of these messages yeah. that you should have. It used to just be the six figure business, but now it's like a seven figure, an eight figure, a 10 figure, like they're just going to keep throwing these numbers out here at us. And the honest truth is most businesses are not hitting those numbers to begin with. They truly are for a lot of people, just kind of aspirational numbers, but money is one of those topics where I think there's just so much confusion for people who maybe don't have a background in finance or accounting. And if you're a business owner, what you bring in for revenue, I think people don't always take into account that what you bring in top line revenue is not what goes into your personal bank account. There's so much more that we have to account for there. And that's where the profitability is so important because too often I see entrepreneurs who they just kind of pay themselves whatever is left over. And this is why they're struggling. Is because you might be able to do that to start up. You might be like, yeah, I'm going to give it a while for my business to get up and running and then I'll pay myself a decent salary. But if you go too long, you're not going to be able to last, you know, indefinitely not paying yourself unless you're somebody who's like independently wealthy, <laughs> which I was not starting my own business.
1: Neither. So, um Talk to me about being realistic about the audience and why that is so important to de- determining a sales strategy.
0: This is, one, this is one of the reasons I created the get paid calculator that I created because I was finding, you know, pre-social media, I didn't run into these challenges of people having these pie in the sky numbers that seemed to be plucked out of thin air, but oh. suddenly social media and just you know, all the messaging out there has confused a lot of people and there's a lot of marketing right now to entrepreneurs and small business owners about how they can scale, scale, scale about how they need to have an online course, or they need to have a membership program, or they need to do group coaching. Like the idea of doing just a service is kind of (laughs) poo-pooed, like, no, that's not the way to grow a business. And when I actually get into the numbers with a lot of people, what we discover is they have a great idea for something that could scale, but they don't have the audience that will make the math work. Too often when we are, especially the clients I work with, most of them start as service based businesses. They're a website designer or a copywriter or a photographer or a coach or a consultant. And it's actually not that hard to start a business that way. You don't need that many people. And because it's a service, it's a higher price point. So the math works really well in our favor. But when we flip those two things, when suddenly we need a lot of volume of clients and they're all paying us a lower price point, there seems to be this just a lack of information and education about the size audience you need to make those numbers work. So where I see people get, hung up is when they come to me and they are trying to make that transition away from one-to-one into a more leveraged business model. And they've joined the latest gurus program about here's how to do that. Here's how to do a webinar or a challenge or whatever. And then they only have a handful of people join their program and they feel like they did something wrong, that they're not good enough, that they messed up. And actually, when we dig into the numbers of what has happened, we realize, oh, actually given your audience size, you did great. <laughs> you just didn't get it in front of enough people. It's a volume game if you're really talking about scaling anything that is leveraged or group. And I think we have to keep that in mind that you will need not just a couple hundred people on your email list or on your social media following. You're going to need thousands, often tens of thousands to hit the goals you're coming up with
1: that is so important for people to really pay attention to and, and hear, not just listen to, but, but actually hear because that makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons so many people um, give up really easily, really quickly is because when they don't see the success that was promised by a lot of these gurus out on the internet streets um then they feel again like it's that they're doing something wrong and really the guru didn't tell them how many people they needed to get in front of they didn't really explain that when you're shifting your business in this way that only two to five percent of people are going to buy from you so you have to get in front of so many more people And that's a huge difference. Like most of the people I've worked with who are service-based businesses, one, most of them never really had to market their business before (laughs) they were able to grow on word of mouth. They were able to grow on referrals. And often if they had a sales call for a new client, they were getting one in two of those people on sales calls to say yes, if not higher. some of the people I work with, they pretty much get 80% of the people they talk to, to say yes and, and work with them. But that isn't the case when you flip from a high-touch business model where people are coming from referrals, which is basically the best potential way a client can come to you because they're basically getting the stamp of approval from whoever referred them. They have that feeling of trust that is really hard to duplicate in a more um, low-touch way. It's really hard to build that kind of trust when people don't have that more personal connection to you. And so those numbers all flip around and it becomes something that I really want more entrepreneurs to know if, I think it's great to have a more leveraged business model, just be ready for the massive shift that is coming, which is you have to get in front of a lot of people. And if you've never had to really do marketing before, marketing is about to be your new favorite thing. Cause it's what you're going to spend probably 60% of your week doing.
1: Wow. Okay. How do they calculate that audience? You know, how do do they calculate so they know how many people they need to be in front of in order to reach those goals?
0: Yeah, I generally like to look at, I mean, I always give very conservative numbers when I'm looking at this, but general like information out there is saying that about 2% of people are going to buy your offer. Let's say you are going to promote something and you're promoting it primarily to your email list. Well, 2% of the people who see that offer and specifically who click on that offer to look at the sales page are likely to buy. Now those numbers can change depending on your business, your niche, who's on your list. There's so many other variables. You have to learn your specific numbers and start tracking your specific numbers. But 2% is kind of the baseline I usually start by, which means if you have a hundred people on your list, two people will probably buy. If you have 500 people on your list, 10 people will probably buy. So I usually use that 2% to help start coming up with a strategy for my clients to make sure they're clear about how many people they need to get that offer in front of.
1: Yeah, boy, that's great. Uh, It's a little daunting, but uh,
0: (laughs) it's great. Yeah, it is. And this is where, um, I also want to say, this is one of those things where being an early adopter changes those numbers as well remember the days of email was first coming out and nobody had an email newsletter list <laughs> uh-huh. when people just started doing email those numbers were much higher because it was novel and it was new and there was an inverse relationship between how many people were creating content and how many people were consuming content there were a lot more people consuming content than creating content well that's different in our inboxes now and it's also different on our social media feeds But if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, the next question I usually get is, well, what do I do if I'm just getting started and I don't have that many people look for the opportunity where there's less people creating content and more people consuming content right now. And these could be new platforms that are getting a lot more um, eyeballs on them. So I'm seeing a lot of my clients who are shifting away from the super saturated Um, areas to find potential clients and to get in front of people. They're shifting away from Facebook, which has become harder and harder to get in front of people. And it's funny, some of them are actually shifting back to old school, like high touch connections and networking, which always works in my opinion. But there's also a lot of people shifting to like LinkedIn has jumped in popularity. TikTok has gone through the roof in terms of popularity and visibility. Um, I've had a lot of people who are shifting back to SEO, search engine optimization, to get in front of people. And that's because you just want to be thinking about where are my potential clients actually consuming information from where I could have that kind of unfair advantage because there's not many people talking about my topic in that particular platform.
1: That That is great. I love that, and there are so many um, opportunities areas that are not very well saturated just yet. So I think that's another question people have. It's like, you know, should I be an early adopter? or should I wait to see if this, you know, before I invest all this time and energy, should I wait to see if this platform is actually going to
0: be a thing? Do you have a yeah. thought? On, I mean, do you oh, mean you I have lots of early? thoughts on this. <laughs> I am super opinionated about this because I am somebody who I tend to be a, um, I, I don't jump on trends very quickly, period. Like I tend to be somebody who, once I find what I works for my business or what I see what is working for my clients, I want to double down on what works instead of adding more to the mix. That said, things are changing quickly. Like we've all seen in the last two years, how quickly everything can be turned upside down and inside out. But what's really interesting to me is you can wait and see for a little bit, but if you wait too long, you kind of miss that window of opportunity. So what I do is I'm paying attention to my potential clients and my existing clients. Honestly, I am always in conversation with my clients to understand where are they getting information? Where are they spending time? Over the last two years, something that was interesting was you might've remembered, um, do you remember clubhouse when that yeah. became big at the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah. I remember so many people jumping on that and they were like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be the next big thing. You need to jump in here. I'm filling so many rooms on clubhouse. And so I tried listening to it a little bit and honestly, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I personally didn't like it. I couldn't get into it. It wasn't that sticky to me. And I felt like I was waiting and waiting for something to happen instead of being engaged right off the bat. So for me, clubhouse was a, nope, this isn't for me. And I was talking to my other clients and they were kind of feeling the same way. Like this isn't getting me hooked into it right off the bat. And we're all busy. Like we didn't have hours to sit in there for people to talk. Meanwhile, TikTok was getting more popular. And at first I was like, um, I think I'm a lot older <laughs> than the demographic here. Everybody was doing these dances and all this stuff. And I was just like, uh, I don't know that this is for me. But somewhere in the middle of the pandemic, things started to shift, especially I found with the social justice causes coming to the forefront, there was suddenly a shift from just the entertaining factor to it became a platform for education. And for me, that's where I was like, ding, ding, ding. I'm in, I'm an educator. I'm here to teach people. I'm here to train people. I was seeing more people show up and teach and train and give great insight and information. And so for me, I was like, okay, this could be it. So I I waited, I watched a little bit. I figured out what felt good for me, but I was also super clear that my potential clients were on there because I asked, (laughs) because I asked my existing clients, where are they spending their time?
1: Oh, that's interesting. You're the second person who's told me that they've, that since the pandemic, they've started using TikTok.
0: Yeah, I uh, never thought so I, I would. would.
1: Yeah, right. I know.
0: I never thought I would, but this is one of those things where, um, you know, I did the same when Instagram came out. When Instagram came out, I was like, oh, do I have to take pictures? Because taking pictures of myself is my least favorite thing ever. I really, was happy being like behind a mic or writing content. I didn't like the idea of like, I have to have this perfectly polished everything. It really pushed me into my, um, uncomfortable, uncomfortable zone there. And at the same time, I knew that if I was an early adopter on Instagram, I could be the person in my niche showing up and, and making an impact. And I'm seeing that same thing happen with TikTok right now. It has, the, it has changed from being like a kid's uh, music only platform and that's still there, right? There's still the dances and the music but I am seeing that it has shifted.
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Can can we talk some about <clears throat> excuse me about um, signature offers and yeah. figuring out like a a minimum price point that um, works?
0: Yes. Again, this comes back to the math. The math is everything. I'm looking at what do we need to do in order to make sure you're hitting your goal income. So when I work with my clients using the Get Paid Calculator, which Everyone listening, you can go get that for free. It's at rachelcook.com slash accelerate and the get paid calculator set up. So the first stage is you actually figure out what you want to pay yourself. Then you decide what raise you want in the next year, because if I were going to wing to work for anybody else, I would want to raise every year. Right. So I'm going to account for that in my business planning as well. And then I want to make sure that I'm thinking about how much time and energy do I have for this business? And I think this is important because it's very easy to underestimate the amount of time it takes for each client. Too often I talk to people who are looking at their signature offers and they're saying, well, for example, this is a six-month coaching package and I'll only talk to them two times a month, so I should charge fill in the blank but you have to also account for all the in-between time. You have to also account for all the um, time it took for you to market and bring that client in and how much time and energy it takes in between to respond to emails from that client or uh, provide support to them between any sessions you might have, et cetera. So I think that's one thing I'm always thinking about is try not to overestimate how many people you can work with at a time, because that's usually where a lot of people hit burnout. So take really look at how many people you can actively serve at a time, even if you have to open up your calendar and plug in. I mean, I used to do this. I used to open my calendar and write into the calendar. Client one will go at nine o'clock on Tuesdays. Client two will go at 1030 on Tuesday and so on so forth. And that's how I figured out what my capacity was. How many people could I reasonably manage? How many clients could I reasonably manage at a time? And then I just take that and do the math. Like how much am I trying to pay myself divided by how many people can I reasonably help right now? And that will help get closer to what the price point probably needs to be for a signature offer. That's not the only way to find the price point, but it's a good way to make sure you're in the ballpark.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I like that a lot because I think people once again are doing what you said at the beginning, which is pulling um, a a price out of the air and then
0: trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, and hope that it it works. So, or they're just looking at what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And looking at what everyone else is doing is the fastest way to just make your business a commodity instead of standing out. And pricing is positioning. I think this is really important too. Um, It is much easier, I find. It sounds counterintuitive because I think a lot of us feel like, well, if we want to get clients, we have to be the most affordable version. And a lot of people price that way. They're trying to be the most affordable, the least expensive. But actually, those are the least profitable clients, generally, if you're discounting or lowering your prices. Yeah. It gives you the least amount of room in your own business to take great care of those clients. That's something I think about all the time. Like I'm building into my pricing, what it costs for me to have a team behind the scenes that's helping me to take great care of those clients. If you're somebody who's also bringing in team to work on something for that client, let's say you're a service provider, you need to build that into the pricing to make sure you can afford to have that person help you behind the scenes and even simple things like having the ability to, I love to spoil my clients. So I send out gifts and I send out um, books and I send out all sorts of things to my clients over the period that we work together. And because I have a great profit margin, I can do that. And I never feel stressed about it. I never feel stressed about taking someone out to dinner. If I happen to be in town, I never feel stressed about sending them a birthday gift or, um, uh, you know, new baby gift or whatever kind of gift, because I've built it into the model that I want to be seen as a premium service provider, a premium uh, coach that they're working with. And that means that you're going to be taken care of exceptionally well.
1: That's really good. Thank I'm so glad I asked the question. Um, now, you first started with one-on-one services. Yes. Right, and and then you shifted. How did you know when it was time to add in and market those, you know, lower priced leveraged offers? And should our listeners be following the same sort of path?
0: Yeah. Oh, this is such a good question Um, because I think there's a lot of ways to know. I think one is personal preference. Right. Like you might have things going on in your life um, that might be taking up more of your time and energy. For me, I had twins (laughs) and I I got pregnant with twins within the first year of starting my business. So I knew I would need to shift from one on one um, because my time was just now even more in high demand by two tiny humans. So I knew I was going to go in that direction. But really, what the indicators for me were. Um, one, I was booked out. So I was booked out and I had a waiting list of people who wanted to work with me. That was an indicator for me that there's demand and I could fill a group program. The second indicator for me was I was already starting to reach the higher end um, price point for my market, for the people I was serving. So I knew there comes a point where you can raise your prices and grow your business, but there's also a market cap. You know, there's a point where you're either going to have to change who you're serving and change your audience completely, or you're going to have to make another offer. And that's where I was. I knew I was at the higher end of the market, so I couldn't just keep raising my prices indefinitely. I was going to have to come up with another way to work with people. And the third thing that came up for me was at that point, I had worked with so many clients that I was hearing the same things again and again. And that became the foundation for creating my first group offer. Because once you hear something from your one-on-one clients five times, it's like, okay, they're all having the same problem. And what I would start to do, even while I was working one-on-one, because I knew I was going to create some group programs, was I started documenting these things. And I started creating frameworks for my one-on-one clients. I started creating resources for them and templates and tools for them so that they could go test those tools And resources and templates, I could gather data on them. I could make them better. And then when it was time to create a group program, because I had these three things in place, I already was, you know, a waiting list. I was booked out. I knew I had the demand. I was already at the higher end of my price point. And I knew I had clarity on what the top problems were that my clients were struggling with. And I could kind of streamline and systematize how I could help them with that. It was so much easier for me to make that transition.
1: I think that that's a bit, I'm, I appreciate that pipeline. And and as I was listening to it, um, I, I was struck by creating those processes and the, you know, the, the solutions or, you know, the system, yeah. whatever it is for your current clients, because you're hearing, you know, the same thing over and over again, but making sure that it, it's like, realizing that there's an opportunity there, but you have to go through the whole process of making sure that you actually have something people can use.
0: Absolutely. I think this is where a lot of people go wrong when they try yeah. to translate something into group is they don't take the time to take, because the, when you change the format um, from one-to-one to a group, a lot of, a lot of variables are changing. So you really do need to test some of these things out and make sure that it translates, make sure that people understand what you're saying and how to use that tool or template or resource. Um, To me, this is just good, you know, (laughs) R&D, research and development. And part of that just comes from my background in the consulting world. Like it's always, you've got to validate, you've got to make sure that it's going to work before you scale it up.
1: Right, that's right. I know, Uh, too many people, uh, I feel like too many people slap something together, throw it out there and then wonder why it didn't work.
0: No, and my best clients are the ones who go through this process as well. And this is true, even if let's say you're not going into a group program, but if you're wanting to almost productize your service so that you could bring other people into your business to deliver this. So for example, I have a client who is a registered dietitian And she has a very specific process. She takes her clients through. She helps with some very specific medical conditions using nutrition. And she started hearing the same things. She started testing this protocol out and documented it all the way through. She documented all the variations in the protocol. Like if they tried doing this one thing and got, you know, bad results or had a bad reaction to it or whatever, she made sure she had really ironed it out. And then she was able to bring in other certified registered nutrition dietitians, and they are now able to use her process and get the same results with her clients. So I think for me, this is about, it doesn't matter if you're going to work with groups or one-on-one, if you're hiring people to work one-on-one in your company, almost like you're going to do an agency type of model or a group practice type of model. um, It's about making sure you can get the consistent results no matter what you're doing. And the more you document it, the more you test it, um, the more you can get the insights you need to maximize the results for your clients, but also you get the insights you need for how to handle the challenges that come up for different types of clients. And that's invaluable.
1: Oh, for sure. And, and so is she, um, are those people like subcontractors for her or is she licensing that program?
0: No, they actually work in her company. They're oh, all they employees. Do. Yeah, they're all employees. Wow. Good for her. Yeah. And this is something I'm seeing more and more, especially in the holistic health world. And Mm -hmm. I have a lot of, I have a, oh gosh, I have so many nutritionists, holistic healthcare practitioners who they've developed some sort of protocol, especially with autoimmune problems and things like that. Uh, I've got a lot of therapists and mental health practitioners who, again, they've developed some protocol, they've developed a process they take their clients through. And Some of these, not every process is meant to go into a group or meant to go into an on-demand online course. Some things do need to be high touch, um, but the value is in the documentation and the truly systematizing it to the point where you can bring more people in and get that work out in a bigger way.
1: With the same level of...
0: um, Yeah, with the same standard of care for all of those... And that's what it is to me. It's a standard of care if you're looking at a health related capacity, but we can think standard of care for any type of client too. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're coming to you for a new brand or headshots or copywriting or um, doing their taxes. Like we can have a standard of care and a standard of quality for what we do by really making sure we're optimizing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Boy, this is so great. Rachel, I really appreciate this. I have to say that I have learned so much in this conversation that is so valuable to me that, um, that I know the listeners have too. So thank you very
0: much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. Will you let the listeners
1: know how they can find you and uh, what you've got going on, please?
0: Yes. The best way to find me, if you're listening to a podcast, come hang out on mine. I have a podcast called promote yourself to CEO, where we talk all things, business growth strategy without the hustle and burnout. And if you'd like to learn more about getting into my world, we have put the get paid calculator, um, out into the world. It's available for you to come download. You can find it at rachelcook.com slash accelerate.
1: Nice. Thank you so much. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, you bet. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper, and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit?